Hello and welcome to Pause Pop, Positively Pop Culture, where we talk about things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm KW Taylor. And I'm Carrie Gessner. Today we're going to talk about the Netflix reality show The Circle, season three of Hulu's Runaways, and Billie Eilish's album When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? All right, KW. Yes. You've been posting about this show called The Circle. <laughs> I'm I'm half intrigued, half nervous. <laughs> oh, don't be nervous. No, it just, it feels like kind of a strange concept. It's a super strange concept. So I would like you to explain it all to me, please. Yes. Okay. So obviously you have not actually watched any of it, correct? Correct. Okay. So I was thinking just the other day that my experience with reality shows is I don't get really interested in ones that seem kind of like everything you've ever seen, just sort of standard stuff. I only watch one Real Housewives subtype. I only will sometimes watch the first season of a reality show. The Masked Singer is the only singing competition show I've ever watched because I think that the other ones are too normal. So The Circle is super weird and it's kind of like Big Brother, but not. There's an extra layer to it. So see, that's the thing is I have to have that weird extra layer that makes it campier or stranger. Okay. So this is based on a British series and I think they're adapting it also for French television as well. Anyway, I'm, I'm not probably going to go back and watch the other foreign versions, but this just premiered this month on Netflix and I have consumed all of it. It's kind of also not just based on Big Brother. It's a little bit based on Catfish, which is a series where they have people who meet online, meet each other in real life and see if they were faking with each other. I don't know. It's That's kind of a its own thing. But the circle, they bring in, I think that you have a total of, I think you start out with six or seven players to begin with. And they're all in this apartment building, but they're not allowed to talk to each other. They're just in individual apartments. Okay. They have no way to communicate with the outside world. They are not really supposed to leave their apartment except for authorized trips to the apartment building's gym or there's like a little hot tub roof lounge area. Those are the only places they can go in the building. Can they meet each other there or do the producers stagger it so they don't no, see they, each other? They stagger it so they don't see each other. Okay. They're by themselves the whole time. But in each of their apartments, there are these voice activated social networking setups it's like a fake version of Facebook or Twitter or something called The Circle. And they all make profiles on this platform with pictures of themselves. And they have status updates and things and bios. And they are allowed to have chats either with the entire group or with smaller groups or with just one-on-one. -on -one. And every day, there's a vote to see like how people rank each other. And you can base that ranking however you want, kind of either people you like, people you don't like, people who seem like they might not be who they say they are, however you want to do it. And then the top two people are considered that day's influencers, and they go into this weird private area. They're still not with each other, but there's like a wall separating them. It's so weird. <laughs> this sounds terrifying it's really stressful and then the two of them like decide who they're gonna vote off oh my gosh day. and then the person who gets voted off has the option of they can record a little video that everyone sees the next day they can also 
go visit one other player's apartment and meet them in person. Okay. And then the next day, after the person has been blocked and leaves, they bring in a new person. Oh. And then at the end of it, whoever is left wins, I think it's $100,000. Wow. So theoretically, you can be brought in the second to last day and win. Okay. Wow. And the audience obviously bonds with the people who are there longer. So yeah, the idea of one of the new people winning is kind of not cool. I've been like reading various little (laughs) fan threads on this and I've gotten really invested and there's some people who have been catfishing, so they're not who they say they are. And you know that, right? As in the audience? As the audience, you see them in their apartment and you see that they've got fake pictures and they're talking out loud about how they're totally scamming these people. And they do talk out <laughs> loud. They talk out loud to themselves. But actually, I, I found out that they were getting interviewed by a producer over like a loudspeaker in the apartment to make them like share their thoughts. And then because the circle is all voice activated, they're dictating all their texts to each other. Okay. So you do see them talking that way, but it's kind of like watching a bunch of people talking to nothing. But (laughs) I'm sort of fascinated by the fact that they're by themselves so much. And it's, I don't know, it's kind of, that would drive me crazy. Yeah, I think that isolation would be really hard and it would influence their behaviors i think i would think yeah they they do show them doing some kind of like silly things in their downtime there's also like a narrator and she'll kind of narrate when people are doing like like this one guy keeps doing crunches on his kitchen floor (laughs) (laughs) and he plays like ping pong against a wall and like this other guy has this little wonder woman stuffed animal toy thing and he keeps like hugging her and stuff and (laughs) this other girl would like talk to her a little stuffed octopus sometimes and i don't know it's just it, you clearly start to get a little loopy, like one girl's doing endless jigsaw puzzles and this other guy's reading a book all the time. Anyway, but they don't have television. They don't have any other entertainment other than anything they brought with them or anything they find in the apartment. So it's pretty clearly limited. But then you you don't get to hear anybody else's voice. You don't get to see them, obviously, when you're interacting with them. And so you only have just these static images and static text. And they can do emojis. But that's like it. So, yeah. Wow. Okay. So I think the reason it freaks me out is I don't really care for social experiments. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We'll get to that in a future episode, I think, too. Right? Oh, right, 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 right. Okay. Well, okay. So you've intrigued me enough that I'm going to watch an episode probably. Okay. But I will probably do it with a lot of trepidation. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me ask, what about social experiments do you not? like or what is the deal there that's a good question i think okay so we talked about you last week right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) the show you not me (laughs) yeah yeah we talked about the show you and in that joe is not who he says he is so i think the thing that freaks me out about this is i have a hard time figuring out who to trust because i don't really play games i'm kind of a what you see is what you get person Mm-hmm. So people who do play games like that make me really uncomfortable and anxious, okay. you know? Yeah. So the idea that there's this thing designed that it is easy for you to play games like that and present yourself differently, mm-hmm. that makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> well, if it's any consolation, most of the people are exactly who they say they are. Okay. There are catfishes, but there's not as many of those as there are people who seem pretty genuine. Okay. So, yeah. 
And sometimes it's the part of the comedy, because it is really funny. Part of the comedy comes from people assuming someone is totally a catfish who's really exactly what they say they are and vice versa. Like, oh, so-and-so seems so genuine. And then like you cut to their apartment and it's like, (laughs) (laughs) not them at all. So I understand the discomfort of that. And the thing that I think makes it not as bad, they, they all know what they're getting into. They also are not actually there for very long. So they're doing these votes either every day or every two days. And I don't think they filmed this but a couple of weeks. So it's not like you're subjected to this for months and years and in multiple hours of your regular life. You're separated from your real life for a period of a vacation, essentially, and you already know that it's a game going in. So, okay. Yeah. That makes me feel a little bit better. Yeah. I think it's not as salacious as some reality shows also, because they're because you're in isolation, you kind of behave a little more wholesomely and Oh, like they're just doing really innocent things and they're not, there's not all these like weird, I don't know. I mean, they interact with each other in ways that get flirty sometimes, but it's not, yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of like, it takes away a little bit of some of the interpersonal drama that can happen in a reality show. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Anyway, I like it. It's silly. (laughs) It seems a little bit silly. Yeah. I'll check it out and let you know what I think. Okay. (laughs) But you've been watching something else that I'm not caught up on, but you're going to hopefully not super spoil me, right? Oh, yeah. I won't spoil you at all. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'll be careful about that. So I've been watching Hulu's Runaways. Season three came out in December, so about a month ago. It's a Marvel TV show. I think we talked about this. They've been kind of canceling all the non-Disney Plus Marvel shows, Mm -hmm. I suppose, so they can move things over to the platform. So when they announced that season three would be the last for the runaways, I was very sad. And even though I started watching it when it came out, I just finished it last night because I wanted to kind of drag it out and savor it a little bit more. You've watched the first season, right? I've watched the first two seasons. Yeah. Oh, okay. And I used to read the comics too. So, okay. cool. So you know all about it, but for anyone who hasn't seen it or read the comics, um, it follows six kids. So there's Nico, Alex, Chase, Gert, Molly, and Carolina. And they find out that their parents are evil, basically. (laughs) (laughs) So the first season has a lot to do with them figuring that out and navigating that and deciding what they're going to do about it. The second season, they have become the titular runaways. So they're hiding from their parents and trying to foil their plans and everything. And then season three... So one of the big points, <laughs> this is so hard to explain, but, yeah. but one of the big points is that there are aliens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and one of the things that I think Runaways does really interestingly is combine sci-fi and fantasy elements. Yeah. Uh, so Carolina finds out that she's half alien <laughs> and her power is that she can fly and glow and like shoot power beams out of her hands and stuff like that. One of the big threads throughout season one and season two and then into season three is that her biological father, her alien father, is on Earth with his family. And there are four main people in his family. They can take humans as hosts, basically. So in season three, it picks up with three of the parents having been taken over by these aliens 
and one of the kids, but we don't know which kid it is. Mm-hmm. I thought season three was structured really interestingly because, well, the first four episodes deal with the alien storyline. They're trying to figure out who the fourth alien is. They're trying to figure out how to get rid of the aliens, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it really does wrap up that whole big thread from the previous seasons. And then it also introduces a new thread, which is Morgan Le Fay. All the kids have different powers. Mm-hmm. Like I said, Caroline is half alien. Chase is a dumb jock, but he's pretty smart. And, <laughs> <laughs> and he has these weapons that he's designed and, and built called fistigons. So they're kind of like big gauntlets that he can shoot energy beams or something like that mm-hmm. you know alex is super smart and into coding and he could do all the technical things molly gets super strong and her eyes glow when she does it and she's the youngest and i really love her because she's funny but when she first figures out her power every time she exudes her strength she has to nap immediately afterwards (laughs) which i think is cute but eventually she kind of learns to control that and then gert has a dinosaur who is telepathically connected to her (laughs) and then nico even though it's an ensemble cast i kind of view her as the main character she definitely steps up and becomes the leader of the group but in season three she has a lot of conflict just within herself because her power is that she's a witch she gets this thing called the Staff of One from her mom, and it lets her do magic. But as she does magic, she kind of opens herself up to this darkness. And that's where Morgan Le Fay comes in, and she is trying to like bring the dark dimension to the regular dimension, and like she really wants Nico. So the season kind of seems to be split into two, and then each of those halves is split into four and one episodes. So Like the first half of the season, the first four episodes deal with the aliens and then they kind of get rid of that storyline. The fifth episode, so the last of the first half, the kids get stuck in the dark dimension and they have to find their way out. So that kind of introduces the Morgan stuff. But for the second half of the season, uh, the first four episodes are really Morgan heavy and the kids are trying to defeat her and stuff like that. And then the climax happens in episode nine actually instead of episode 10 oh and then you've got this interesting little fix it episode that introduces time travel oh (laughs) so it's kind of it's kind of a little all over the place but i really liked that for some reason Mm -hmm. the one thing that i didn't like is that there's a small cliffhanger that i think was meant to set up season four and now that it's not happening i'm very upset about that Mm. But what I liked about this season, I think the show just gets stronger with each season. And the first one was actually kind of slow and it focused on the parents a lot, Mm -hmm. which was fine. But this one is much more focused on the kids and the parents are around and they either are helping the kids or trying to thwart the kids. So there's a bunch of moving parts, but they're, they're really not the main focus anymore. But Something that I thought was interesting was that a lot of the kids get a little bit of closure with their parents. Mm. Yeah, because there's it's kind of a big gaping wound for them because they're like, our parents are evil and they kill people. And now they're helping us a little bit and we're all confused about it. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think the thing I loved the most 
is the found family aspect because that's always been one of my favorite tropes. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people in season one were kind of like, okay, when are they going to run away? Yeah. Yeah. And then season two, they they had run away, mm-hmm. but they hadn't really like coalesced as a group yet. And I feel like in season three, the potential of that, of those dynamics really get realized. Mm-hmm. It's just so, I got really emotional. Every time Aww. the kids had a see, had scenes together, I was just like, oh, you guys love each other. And you're yeah. trying to defeat this wizard from, <laughs> from centuries ago, but you love each other. And that's great. And Aww. I got kind of sad when I watched the, the last episode because the last shot is... If you want to tell me that no okay well i'll just say the last episode in general i think it it really hammers it home that it is about the the six kids and their Mm -hmm. friendships and relationships with each other i really appreciated that it ended with a focus on that i guess can i say that yes absolutely okay great because i do i am still gonna watch it and i have been watching it and i one thing i liked because i had read the comics not all of them but a lot of them not too long after they even first came out, which was, oh gosh, it's been a while, but early 2000s or something. And um, I loved how well they everybody was cast. Like they look like the comic images so much. And that's probably easier for a comic that doesn't have characters in spandex superhero costumes where the superheroes just are wearing normal clothes mostly. But like Nico is a super goth girl and they completely got her look down. Gert has like purple hair a lot of the time and they got that down and and Alex has like this really very specifically shaped afro and they got that down and they just like really resemble them and even though that's a small thing I was like oh my gosh and and to render a dinosaur in reasonable enough CGI on TV so that it doesn't look super cheesy I was very impressed with that too so yeah yeah and I love James Marsters and I know you do. The guys who play Gert and Molly's parents. Oh, yeah, yeah. The mom used to be on Angel, and the dad used to be on Alias, and they're just hilarious. And I also like Julie McMahon, who is a recurring character. So, yeah, the casting is all around great. It really is. And I think because of the storyline where the aliens take over some of their bodies, Mm -hmm. three of the parents really get to play different characters. Yes, in the first part of the season, so that's kind of fun to watch. Yeah. Well, and I randomly saw the the actress who plays Nico's mom, who in the show is this very serious, like, oh, she's so intense, and she's probably one of the most intense of the parents. And she was on an episode of Grace and Frankie playing this, like, cosmetics marketing person, and she seems, <laughs> like, suddenly 10 years younger and much sillier. And I was like, oh, my gosh, she's got really good range. So anyway, <laughs> that made me really happy. Have you read the newer run of Runaways? No, I have not. Okay. I've read a little bit. I've read the first two volumes. I think volume three is on my Kindle right now. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly how many are out, but season three, it adapts some of the storylines from the newer run. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I thought it was cool. And the last thing I'll say about this is that the showrunners are Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage, and they've done things like Gossip Girl and The O.C. And Josh did Chuck, which is one of my oh. favorite shows of all time. Mm-hmm. And he always has really good music in his shows. Yes. His 
music supervisor is named Alex Patsavis. They use great music in their shows. I have the soundtrack for season one of Runaways. In season one, they use a song by Billie Eilish called Ocean Eyes, which is a great song and I love it. And I feel like that's a great segue into what we're going to talk about next, right? Yeah, talking about Billie Eilish herself. Yeah, I actually have not listened to the Ocean Eyes song or that's from her EP that she put out before the album we're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. But after listening to this album, I want to go back and listen to some of her non-album stuff. There's not a lot of it, though, because she's only 18 years old. I know. That makes me feel like such a slacker. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So just a tiny bit of background on her quickly. She, Yeah, she's only 18. She's from L.A., And she produces her work with her brother, Phineas. Oh. I would say that he's kind of her collaborator. And even though the albums are billed to just her, I feel like in in another era or or thing that they wanted to do, you might have seen it billed as Billy and Phineas or something, or or that it was more of a band collaboration. But they're really pushing her as the, the front woman of that project. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. He seems pretty cool. Well, and the album, this album that we're going to talk about, When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? Um, it opens with a little track where they're just laughing in the studio. I don't know if you listened to that or if on the version you listened to it. I did. And you know what? That makes a lot more sense because I was just like, who is this random guy? <laughs> yeah. No, it's Phineas O'Connell. Billy's full name is Billy Eilish O'Connell. Okay. And Eilish is her middle name. And so it's just them laughing in the studio and she's saying something about, I got to take my Invisalign out <laughs> to like start <laughs> the recording, which, yeah, that just cracked me up. So do you want to talk about like, what's the overall sound of this album? How would you describe it? Okay. Yeah. So I got this album actually last year sometime. Mm-hmm. I knew I liked Ocean Eyes and I picked this up. And I really, really liked it. There are some tracks that I don't love as much, but that's okay. And I I would say for me, as someone who, like I have said, doesn't have a ton of music theory, Mm -hmm. the tone for me is a little bit eerie, Mm -hmm. a little bit Mm party-ish, and very preoccupied with death, which is interesting for an (laughs) 18-year-old. Yeah, yeah. It's got some themes of... Yeah, death is a theme, love and kind of loss of love and worrying about the safety of your friends, I think, is maybe where you're getting the party element, which that's kind of sad and and like an 18-year-old shouldn't be worried about that. But right. But there's also this like the title of the album and some of the lyrical content of individual songs is making reference to the idea of lucid dreaming. So some of these preoccupations with death could be seen a little bit more as not real death but death in dreams like I don't know about you but I will often have dreams that have to do with death um, and I don't know that it is literal death it's just kind of death as a as a concept or a symbol for something else I think no I do not I mean I don't a lot but I think sometimes like I'll see someone who's deceased in a dream or or I have a lot of dreams where I'm falling and wake up right before I hit the ground. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's, I'm not trying to be creepy, but I think, I think Billy is maybe dealing with if those things come up in a dream, how could you maybe take control of them? And maybe it's the idea of lucid dreaming, dreaming where you are more aware that it's a dream and then you can change what's happening in the plot of the dream. Mm -hmm. But 
that in and of itself is sort of symbolic of feeling that way in waking life. Like, how can I have more control in my waking life too? Gotcha. So I think you can look at it as being a little bit hopeful or at least struggling toward hope and that the eeriness of the song sounds is very dreamlike and has that kind of sense of surreality about it. Mm -hmm. I think I did not do as much lyrical analysis on this as you did, (laughs) which is fine. (laughs) But one thing I want to mention that she used, she plays with style. A lot of her stuff is considered just like alternative pop or avant-garde art pop or something like that, or, or even industrial kind of sounding. But she's also playing with this other genre called trap music, which I had to kind of research a tiny bit. Um, And it's a form of like Southern hip hop that uses drum machines and snares and stuff. And so some of the really unusual sounds that are being created here um, are just being influenced by a lot of different genres that fall outside of what you would consider traditional alternative pop. And I think that's really cool. And I think it exposes a listener to stuff they might not have otherwise sought out. Right. I'm really bad at, at music genres. So you said a lot of things that I was like, oh, let me look that up. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of it being quote unquote pop music, you know, you've got their short songs, four minutes and under. You can hear her vocals. The songs have a general structure, verse, chorus, but there's still weird stuff going on that makes it sound creepy and strange and different. Yeah. I think part of the creepiness comes from her vocal style. Yes. It's soft. And there's even that one song, I don't remember which one it is, but she kind of sings it in like a babyish tone. Yeah, yeah. Which honestly creeped me out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that one is creepy. I can't remember which song that is either. But um, yeah, she. I think they're doing stuff electronically with her vocals a little bit. And I think that one might have been modulated up deliberately to sound that way and it's really upsetting Um, (laughs) (laughs) oh I will tell you something that is pretty creepy I take a fitness class our teacher regularly plays bad guy and you should see me in a crown in class okay not back to back but like the rest of her playlist is is either yoga music or kind of like generic alterna rock or something and then she'll and then these show up and it's like, oh man. And it's the same <laughs> playlist every week. And so it's like, oh, I'm getting creepy on this girl. I don't know if those really go well and whatever. <laughs> That's fine. It motivates me, I guess. But um, one other thing that I thought was interesting in terms of the songs, and we can talk about which songs we like, but the song Goodbye, which closes out the album. Mm-hmm. I, I read this. I didn't notice this on my own. So I read this. But each line of that song is a line from one of the other songs earlier on the album. Oh, that's neat. Composed totally of references to the rest of the piece. And I liked that. And the fact that it's the last track and it's called Goodbye, I thought that was really an effective little trick to do. Yeah, that's neat. Well, so what tracks did you like a lot? Well, my favorite, absolute favorite track is When the Party's Over. Mm-hmm. When I first got this album, I would play it in my car and just put this song on repeat. Mm. I feel like there are two types of people in the world. One that plays songs on repeat, just ad nauseum. And then the other one who doesn't do that. (laughs) I do that sometimes. Yeah, I do. I don't know that I would have picked that one to do. I think You Should See Me in a Crown is my favorite on this album. And I might have. Okay. 
I've, I think I have put that on repeat before. I don't own it physically. I just listen to it on Spotify, but I'm pretty sure I've played that over multiple times in a row. Yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's also a good one. That's on my list. But yeah, for some reason when the party's over, it's slower and it's got kind of a, what's the right word for the tone of it? Somber, yeah. maybe? Yeah. 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 And I tend to kind of gravitate towards sadder songs, I think. Mm-hmm. But then I also really love I Love You, and I don't know how you say this, but it, is it Ilo Milo? I think so, yeah. Okay, yeah. But what were some of the standout tracks for you? Well, I like Bad Guy, and You Should See Me in a Crown, and I like Goodbye. Um, what the Party's Over is neat. I like that. And I Love You is pretty. I, there's not any that I don't like, actually. And I was re-listening to it early this morning. On Spotify, they'll have you, you can heart a song if you like it. And I was like doing that I was I was listening and then after a point I'm like I'm just gonna heart all of these because they're just great <laughs> except the weird little intro track about her Invisalign I did not heart that one <laughs> <laughs> but I also like her because she reminds me of other artists that I already like and listeners already know that I really really like Lana Del Rey I also really like Lord and Grimes although Grimes is Grimes has gotten real nutty in her real life lately but in terms of her music, she's still pretty cool. And Portishead, which is a slightly older band um, that did a lot of trip hop. And some of Bitly's stuff reminds me of early trip hop. So I like that. Um, but I guess I just like girls with weird, breathy voices that are sad. <laughs> yeah, I think you do. <laughs> but I feel like that might be up my alley, too. Yeah. Now that I like Billie Eilish. So yeah. maybe I'll check out some, some of these other artists. Yeah. I mean, have you, are you familiar with any of those Lord or? I've heard a couple songs by Lord and Lana Del Rey. Yeah. But you gave me an al- a Lana Del Rey album. Yes. So I've listened to that. Yeah. But not for a while. Sorry. That's okay. Well, and Portishead is one that I think you might enjoy though. And they're, okay. they're not as well known, but they had their first album in either the late nineties or early two thousands that was really good. So check that out. Great. One thing that I want to bring up, and I just kind of want to get your opinion on it, is I don't remember which song it is. It might be eight, but mm-hmm. there's a clip of oh people from The Office. Yes. I forgot about that. Yes. What did you think about that? That, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have been on a massive Office rewatch, and I kind of want to watch it constantly. To, to the detriment of other people in my house. And um, <laughs> like, I just, I love it. The Office is, it's always been, ever since I saw it, um, one of my favorite shows. It is from the song My Strange Addiction. And they sample an, an Office episode called Threat Level Midnight, which I just rewatched like two days ago. And that is an awesome episode. And I did read that apparently she had to get permission from Steve Carell, BJ Novak, John Krasinski, and Mindy Kaling to have those clips in the song. And they gave her permission. I don't know if it works. I'm not sure if I think it works. Because that song is otherwise kind of, it's a little cutesy and it's equating love and addiction and it's a kind of standard pop music trope. But then you've got these random clips from The Office in there, which is, I don't know, I feel like that is where her youth may peek out a little bit like she's probably like this is funny let's just do this (laughs) and I don't know that it really works 
Yeah. Because it's not that otherwise funny of a song. I mean, it's not it's not as dark as some of the others, but it really breaks the it breaks up the sort of thematic tension of the song, I guess. What did you think? I had similar thoughts. First, I got confused because okay, I don't know <laughs> because I didn't know much about her when I first listened to this album. Mm-hmm. I kind of assumed that all of the male voices on her album were the same person. Oh. So I thought there was supposed to be some thread. And then I I recognized Mindy Kaling and I was like, wait, this is from The Office. So I yeah. think I just got really confused and it kind of pulled me out of the song. Yeah. For me, it doesn't work, but no. maybe for other people it does. I still like the song overall. And I, I just as an Office fan, I think it's funny, but I don't, I don't know. Sometimes when you try to veer too far out of your lane artistically and bring in references to something else unless you're being really elegant about it or real subtle it's i don't always like that okay i was just curious yeah that's her one failing on that album but wow that's That's all right we'll we'll forgive her threat level midnight is an amazing episode of the office and everyone should go stream that right now okay (laughs) i think i've seen it i haven't seen every single episode of the office but okay I think I have seen that one. So that's pretty fun. <laughs> Maybe I'll go rewatch it. Yes. All right. Well, next time we're going to talk about all kinds of fun stuff, including the podcast The Whisperer in Darkness, the novel The Wives by Taryn Fisher, and the pilot of The Sarah Connor Chronicles. Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at Carrie Gessner. And you can find me on Twitter at KW Taylor Writer. And you can find us together on Twitter at Pause Pop Podcast. And if you want to email us, please email us at positivelypopculture at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. And join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. <laughs>